0: Welcome to the Kingo Podcast, where we interview published authors, screenwriters, and story consultants to answer the question, what makes a great story? Today, I was fortunate enough to be able to interview the multi-talented and award-winning author Janice Hardy, who also runs Fiction University. We had some audio issues, but I've done my best to correct for them. Now throughout the episode, Janice lays out a compilation of writing wisdom, so have your note-taking apps ready. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so we can continue to grow and learn more storytelling tips from our special guests. Let's start the show. So Janice Hardy is the award-winning author of the teen fantasy trilogy, The Healing Wars, including The Shifter, Blue Fire, and Darkfall from Balzer Bray HarperCollins. She also writes the Grace Harper series for adults under the name J.T. Hardy. When she's not writing fiction, she runs the popular writing site Fiction University and has written multiple books on writing, including Understanding Show, Don't Tell and Really Getting It, Plotting Your Novel, Ideas and Structure, and the Revising Your Novel, First Draft to Finish Draft series. So we're happy to have you here, Janice. Thank you for uh, accommodating us and, and making the time.
1: Well, Thank you for having me on. This is fun.
0: So you're an experienced writer and clearly you spend a good deal of time actually thinking about the craft of writing and storytelling. Um, so I would love for you to just unload and, and hear your general experience on the question, what do you think makes a great story?
1: That is such a loaded question. <laughs> but it's a fun one to talk about because uh, everybody's view of what a great story is, is different which is why it's very important to understand what your market is and who your reader is and who you're writing for. Because the people who really love a very close first-person tight romance with a heavy character arc are not the same people who are going out and reading, say, Jack Reacher with a very omniscient narrator and a very plot-heavy non-character arc story, you know. I mean, yes, the same person can like both stories, but, you know, they're two completely different stories. And you have to write each of them differently. Uh, so I think for me, and I think it probably to a certain point is true, uh, what makes a great story is having, uh, is engaging your reader. And different books and different stories will engage the reader in different ways. Uh, the intellectual reader who likes puzzles and mysteries and solving things might be engaged by a really interesting and fascinating premise and plot and puzzle. Uh, the emotional reader might be engaged by wonderful characters and a deep heartfelt character arc. Uh, your adventure reader might be engaged by a great story with a lot of adventure and a fast plot and things going on So it really depends on, on your reader as to what is that great story but I think you love that So if you can figure out uh, how you're going to engage with the type of reader that you're aiming for, that's kind of the main focus is just figure out a way to engage them and get them to immerse themselves in your story. And you have a huge toolbox in which to draw from, to do that. But there's, so there's no like one right answer.
0: (laughs) So implied in that. And first of all, I love just that general answer engagement, right? Just, keeping the reader engaged from start to finish. And it sounded like implied in that idea is that different genres rely on different techniques for that engagement, which I think you were saying with mystery versus character arcs and such. Um, are, you a, are you a big proponent of the idea that different genres have different rules that you should master?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, even within say something is one genre, like the mystery genre has, you have your hard-boiled crime procedurals, which are very technical and very gruesome at times and are very detailed. And then you have the cozies, which is grandma going out to solve a murder. And it's very Saturday morning, you know, cartoon almost, where it's, it's, you've got murders, yes, but they're not grisly. And if you have a grisly decapitating murder on page one in a cozy, you're going to get rejected. You're going to upset your reader because that is way too grisly and violent for a cozy reader and even within romance you've got your happily ever after romance you have your happily for now romance and you have you know your sweet romances which close the bedroom door and don't show anything and then on the other side of the spectrum you have the erotic romances that show everything and then some so you there are rules of, of every genre and they're all, all the different subgenres. And you can break rules, you can cross, you can mix and match and, you know, do whatever you want for a lot of the stories, but there are particular things readers pick up a book for. And if you break too far outside of their expectations, what you're giving them isn't what they expect and you get a disconnect and they don't like your book. And that's not the fault of your book. It could be the fault of that disconnect. Um, But then the book gets blamed for it because, you know, you wrote this story and it's horrible.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: More of a hardcore murder mystery. So
0: so um, I think, and kind of going off what you're saying, I think Stephen James talks about this idea of promises of, um, yeah, and I'm, you talk about it too, is that the idea that you can make promises in your stories that you should fulfill later on. And then I guess the genre itself makes promises about what the reader will, will take away from the book. Um, so, like you were saying, if you break those promises, you can destroy the expectations of the reader and lose that engagement. Um,
1: um, I actually have a, I won't name the title because I don't want to, you know, shame a book or anything, even though it's a good book. But there was uh, a book that I, I read and it's a young adult novel and it was a wonderful novel. But it comes across in the beginning as coming across as um, kind of a serial killer story and a coming of age story, which sounds weird to put those two together. Um, and halfway through the story, it changes to be a horror novel with monsters. And there is absolutely nothing in the cover copy or in the first half of the book that even hints that this is a supernatural fantasy novel now the fact that it was published by tor should have been a clue because tor doesn't do contemporary stuff they do sci-fi fantasy horror so that should have cleared me in that there was something going on but how many people know enough about their publishers to know that you know i think it's a writer thing sure but despite how good the book was all of a sudden with this whole completely different style of book suddenly appear it was very very jarring And very difficult for a lot of readers and even for me it was hard to get back on board with the story because it was not the story that it started out as.
0: Mm. And
1: that's a a risk with a book that it can be very very well written but if if they expect a love story and you kill everybody at the end and you bring out monsters then people will be a little surprised.
0: Yeah that absolutely makes sense. That's that's fascinating good to keep in mind uh so going off of your original answer, too, of engagement, I know you have the book um, Show, Don't Tell, right? And re- really getting it. So is that, does that play into engagement, showing and not telling, and point of view? I know you, you spend a lot of time talking about point of view as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Point of view is, is one of my favorite topics. Uh, Please. It's, it's huge. I love it. I consider it. Uh, I am. I jump up on my soapbox for a minute. Um, point of view to me is the silver bullet of writing. Uh, if you can, if you can master point of view, you will avoid about 95% of most common writing problems. I think it's that important and that critical, because if you understand your point of view character and you understand where your narrator is, uh, in relation to your story, from a close first person or a third omniscient then you know what to describe, you know what's important, you know how to describe it, you know what matters to the character, so you avoid a lot of those things. You're not going to dump in a lot of backstory because you know your character's not going to be thinking about their backstory at that particular moment in time. Nice. You know what details to pick out that are relevant, so you're not going to just randomly describing the room that doesn't matter. You know, one of my favorite examples is if you're running for your life, you don't tend to notice the drapes. You know, unless you're trying to determine whether or not the drapes are strong enough to hold you to shimmy down the balcony, then maybe you would. Uh, and a lot of times you'll see this chase scene, and they're describing the house like it's an Architectural Digest interview. Nobody running for their life is going to do that. So tell fits into that because if you're showing the story, you're letting your character um, or you're letting your reader experience the world through the character experiencing the story. And it puts them in the story instead of having them, the story explained to them. And it also puts the action very front and center instead of kind of off to the side.
0: So that's great then. Um, that idea of point of view then is sort of a proxy for the other rules. Like it'll reduce exposition and it'll, it'll ensure you're showing and not telling. And it, it probably keeps pacing going as well then.
1: Yes, to because you'll know when your character starts kind of getting too much inside their head and they're just start of going off and, and using too much and thinking too much, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, it's been a really long time since my character's actually done anything. Uh, and then you realize that your pace can probably um, The experience, I will notice the pacing from that. I think that's something you kind of have to, to build up to. I think you'll notice it with point of view uh, early on. Uh, I think once you're kind of familiar with how the stories unfold and you have a better sense of music, the then point of view will definitely clear to when things are mm. like slowing down or speeding up the relationship.
0: Interesting. So another thing with point of view then is it's it's kind of like reader embodiment in the character, right? Oh, so that's
1: great. Right. Right. I love that. Yes.
0: yes. Yeah, that's and to me then that gets at um, empathy, right? Because there's such a huge push toward creating empathy for your characters. But if you can use point of view and that embodiment, then you've kind of de facto established empathy, uh, assuming you're, you're doing it right. Yeah, um, or
1: at least interest. Because yeah. uh, you'll have a lot of, of characters that you may not empathize with them and you may not want to because they're darker heroes, you know, somebody like a Dexter character. Yeah. Um, you don't want to really be in their heads, but you want to at least be fascinated and compelled by them. So understanding who they are, their motives, how they see the world, how, you know, being inside their head, even if it's not pleasant, as long as it's interesting and compelling, you still grab your
0: So what distinction would you draw between empathizing with a character and being fascinated, even if it's morbidly fascinated?
1: You know, I think it depends on the person. Um, I love villains. I adore bad guys. I've always been a fan of that. And I love bad guys who are very relatable and understandable. Like, you look at the horrible things they do, and then you look at kind of their backstory, their motives, and you go, well, you know, if I were in their shoes, I would do the same thing. Um, Like, I always think Magneto from X-Men is my favorite example of that. Uh, It's a mutant with superpowers who was a victim of the monocies of the Holocaust. Uh, so his parents were killed you know, at one of the at one of the, the camps. Yeah. So, so you look at a character look look like that with that history, and then you jump ahead fifty years, and the mutants are out, and the humans want to regulate them and have them register and categorize them and round them up, and it's it, the Holocaust all over again. And you can understand how the character you know, would have a really different view of that and why he would act the way he does, and you can't fault him for it. And in a lot of ways, you're on his side because you've seen that dark side of history already. And you're like, well, yeah, you know, I totally understand him. Humans can be really horrible people, and I totally think you should fight like that.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I think that if you're the type of person who can embrace that darker side, then you might uh, be able to emphasize with the darker character. Um, if you're somebody who has a darker sense of humor, you might... Uh, you might, it's a character that has more in common with you in your background, and because of morality, you would emphasize like more, uh, which is that connection kind of thing. So it really depends on the reader. But in a general sense to help, because that's not always helpful as an answer.
0: <laughs> sure, yeah, I loved it, keep going.
1: But in a general sense, um, characters, we tend to like characters uh, who express either Compassion—they um, show that they're good people in some way, even if they're bad. They're redeemable in some way, or they're exceptionally good at what they do. Hmm. If
0: they're
1: admirable, even if it's a bad guy. Um, editor Cheryl Klein gave a workshop on years ago that I attended, and she had a great example it was Tony Soprano, and she said everybody loves Tony Soprano not because he's a good guy, but because he's an excellent and monster. And he does a lot of bad things, but he's very, very good at it, and that makes me like him. So characters who are very good at something are also a way to kind of draw you and make you like them, and probably make you emphasize them.
0: And so, do you think in that there's sort of like an aspiration um, that we kind of aspire to be good at whatever we do, and so we see that in another character or an admiration at least for their skill set?
1: I think so, because I think like just. just I, Culturally, you are kind of raised that you always want to, you know, you thrive to win, you go to win. You want to like winning and victory and being good at what you do and trying your best and exceeding and succeeding. uh, It's part of our culture. So I I can see others who are doing that it's an admirable quality, even if what they're being successful at isn't necessarily admirable.
0: Yeah. So I love this um, going down this villain route. Do you think that villains, are a critical aspect of a great story.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, your protagonist is only as good as your antagonist. Um, I mean, you could have, you know, Hercules fighting a two year old child is not a very interesting story. The bad guy is just not very strong or formidable. But you throw Hercules up against a god or a titan, and suddenly it's a much better story because the fight is bigger. He has to earn it. So your antagonist wants an antagonist that's going to give your protagonist trouble. I mean, you want your villain to be worthy of your of your hero. You want your hero to have to work to overcome, and work to succeed, and work to win. Otherwise, it's an easy victory, and easy victories are boring. You know, we want to sure. see the struggle. We want to see the fight. You know, we have to earn that win. That's where the joy of the story. Ends.
0: And so do you think there's engagement created then bet- in that struggle, I guess? Is, is that what...
1: Totally, because that's, that's what conflict is all about
0: Yes, we're... so you have a book on conflict. Can you... Obviously, that's a pretty important topic <laughs> alongside...
1: Without a story, you have no conflict. I mean, sorry, without conflict, you have no story.
0: Right. Um, stories, um,
1: I had a creative writing teacher in high school that had the best definition of story I think I've ever heard. Quoted her many, many times. It's uh, a story is interesting people solving interesting problems in interesting ways. And all a conflict is, is an interesting problem. Hmm. So, the whole point of a book, or the whole point of a story is to have the character solve a problem. And that's the conflict. So, if you don't have a conflict and you don't have a reason to solve the problem, and it's going to take two seconds to solve the problem, you have a story. Or you have a very, very point story.
0: I love that what you said—an interesting problem, right? Because it kind of implies that not all conflict is equal. Definitely.
1: And, I mean, conflict is having to choose between things, and being—you know—being told you can have any ice any flavor of ice cream you want. That's a conflict, but that's not a conflict anybody's going to be really interested in hearing the results of Here's what flavor of ice cream. Yeah. You know, or which handsome boy do I accept to the prom? You know, that's not a great problem. But if you can make a choice where there are consequences, and something to lose and something to gain, it's the decision, and suddenly you feel conflict, because it's about decision-making, it's about overcoming challenges, and it's about making that choice. And you want the choice to have repercussions. Otherwise, that's the point, like, you know, because then it, it doesn't matter. You want it to matter.
0: So now you're getting at the heart of stakes, right? Yes. In, in the in story.
1: Stakes are so interconnected. They're almost used interchangeably. Mm. Uh, because without good stakes, the conflicts can be very flat. It's the ice cream you know. But the higher the stakes, usually to a point, the more interesting in the conflict. But it's almost like a pendulum. If the stakes get too high, they're almost, uh, then it gets boring. Uh, mm. Like the, the fate of the world, really high stakes, but nobody cares about the fate of the world. So people have, have died during this podcast, and none of us are concerned about that at all. And more than a, you know, a basic, that's really, you know, we're all good people, you don't want people to die. Right. It personally affect any of but if you hurt your neighbor, just their grandmother or your grandfather just passed away, or that they were sick and they need help, you would be much more engaged and the stakes would be much higher for this person.
0: So that's a great point. You're kind of drawing a distinction then between stakes in terms of um, magnitude or scope versus. Pers- uh, how, how close it affects you whether they're personal stakes or whether they're global stakes.
1: Yes, in a way you, you want, want end of the of world stakes but you want the, the end of that, of that character world, world. not necessarily cool. which is one of the reasons I really like writing teens because if you remember being a teenager it was an end of the world stakes like, like the whole life depended on going to that movie with your friends uh, and they're so deeply so personal and so high that you know they really don't matter in the scheme of things. They matter specifically to the character they need to. So you don't really need the entire world, to end as long as the potential for your character's world ending, that's kind of that. And, and of course, you want to have the different levels of stakes because if they go too high too fast, there's no place for your story to go. And once it plateaus, it's basically the same stake. And if the same stake is, everything I do, I might die. Well, the reader knows that's not going to happen, so you don't actually treat things.
0: But if there are lower stakes,
1: and there are consequences, and there are sacrifices, and things happen as the story progresses, and it gets harder and harder and harder, and your risks get bigger, and the sacrifices and consequences get more dire, then you gradually suck them in, and you have stakes and consequences that could actually potentially happen, and are more engaging to the reader.
0: Interesting. So you were talking about the pendulum swinging and and perhaps stakes getting too large. um, And you were kind of saying the global example of the end of the world, uh, the end of the physical world. Is it possible to have too large of personal stakes or should that always be the goal?
1: Um, I think it's almost the goal. I would advise against not getting too large personal stakes too fast. It's timing.
0: So pacing of the stakes.
1: Of that, yes. Yeah. If you want to build up. The stakes should be the highest and the most dire in your climax. Mm. Um, if, you're, if you're hitting that point during the end of Act 1, the whole structure of the class is because there's no place for the story to go. You're already at the end of the world stakes.
0: It totally makes sense. Yeah, so that's interesting. Then that it goes to engagement, um, the pacing of the stakes. I guess if you if you make it too large too early, they, you can't really be engaged anymore. There's nowhere to go.
1: Yeah, you want your. It's funny because stories kind of go in ways way, way, um, where you want them. To, to constantly kind of going up, and then there's a wall, and then it goes up a little higher, and then it goes up higher, and, it's higher and then a wall. And it's and that it kind of over-increasing uh, wave that gets bigger, bigger, bigger and bigger and bigger as you reach the resolution of the novel. And you'll have peak peaks for valleys, and that's how you control these things. So things that start off too much, because in the beginning, until the reader cares about the co they don't necessarily care what happens to so I mean, it's like going to a party and meeting somebody, and they tell you their entire life story, and horrible. They have to make you like let me get away from you, and you're backing away. But if you meet somebody in a two or three weeks, discover all about them, then you care about them. You don't care about that problem first meeting.
0: Absolutely. That's interesting. Do you have any tips on how to make interesting conflict? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a loaded question again.
1: It's a loaded question because, it, again, it depends on the story and the tension of the books. Um, I, I personally love moral gray areas. Um, hmm. I like situations where there's, there's no, no real right or wrong, or it depends on your perspective, or it depends on how you approach a project or a problem. Uh, because that it it makes it a little more unpredictable if you're not sure what's going to happen I like putting characters outside their comfort zones and forcing them to do things that they would normally do Uh, I like thinking about where that line that they would never cross is and then trying to figure out how to push them over the line Cool. Um, uh, taking your external conflicts and your internal conflicts and and, sharing together is a lot of fun because you know if they can solve the external problem, but they have to sacrifice the internal belief. You know, like, so the internal conflict goes, goes against whatever the resolution is for the external, and then they have to make a choice. You know, what, do I want to succeed and solve this problem, or do I want to adhere to whatever internal issue I'm like and then... Yeah.
0: Interesting, so you push them to that moral boundary then, and that, that is sure to create interest. Is, do you consider yourself um, a discovery writer or a an, an conceptual writer? Do you, do you usually outline everything first? or uh, everything. You outline everything.
1: i an outliner, except I'm a little of both, because I'm definitely an outliner and plotter, and I like to you know all of my plots on turning points before I start a But I definitely enhance my characters. I do very little character work before I start a I, I know basics, I know who they are, but I like to see what they do when I actually write them. So I figure out who they are during the first draft, and then I define their character and provide the story. It's kind of trial by trial. I like to <laughs> throw them into trouble and see what they do. And I don't know what they did until I write it.
0: I love that though. And that's kind of why I was asking it because I think that's a fantastic approach of when you were talking about taking characters to that, uh, putting them in crisis uh, points basically where they have, to, they have to decide what their morals are. That, those moments are moments of discovery for the characters, right? So do you ever find that you put a character through that and they do something that you, kind of defines that character to you that you didn't think?
1: All the time. That's why I do it. Nice. And, and you know I mean I just don't really know what's going to happen or, like sometimes I have a general sense of the type of person I want and then they surprise me or it just happens they, I write them differently than what I was expecting or the scene just, just takes a different turn or something and and they surprise me and there are some people a lot of your cancers that actually do the opposite they know their characters so well, well but they don't know who's what because they're trying because they put the characters into the situation and then they figure out that what do. So it's kind of the opposite of what I
0: do. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, you sound like an integrated writer. That, that's what Corey Mandel calls it: the, the people who are able to both do both conceptual and discovery at the same time.
1: I think so. And, and sometimes it's funny, conceptual, the, the because I'm currently working on a new book right now. And I'm writing it with my husband, which is a new, a, a new yeah. venture for us. Uh, he's, kind of he's kind of walking. Of moves. Moves. He comes he's up with great, great ideas, ideas, but he's not a writer. He's trained in writing, but he's really, really great at developing great worlds and stories and his great ideas. So we're kind and of we're uh, working on this together. And I keep finding myself coming up with, I know, stressfully, X, Y, and Z need to happen, but I need a good reason for this situation to happen. It's like, well, in this world, how would this work? And then we brainstorm. So we conceptually know. What has to happen from a plotting standpoint? Um, but we have to talk through and then talking with him and kind of, kind of do a pie in the sky, he'll say something, and I'll be like, yes, yes, that's it. That's what I want to take. That'll work. So it's kind of, yeah, we definitely are doing a very conceptual outline first, and then I'm fleshing it out with the specifics. It's been a lot of
0: fun. I love that. Uh, you're talking about creative problem solving then uh, essentially right with that brainstorming process do you have any tips for because I think one of the challenges with writing is that when you get down to it putting pen to paper it there's a lot of problem solving you get into these these moments where you need to decide how to get your character from this point to that point using the resources you have basically Um, do you have any tips for that
1: uh, your of uh, characters, characters, um, because you your characters have goals. If your if character your doesn't have a goal that matters to them, then you're not going to understand where to go with your story. Because all, all plot, plot is, is, is illustrating, illustrating, um, the, the idea of the story. You have a problem, you solve the problem. The plot is a problem. I mean, essentially, that's what it is. So, uh, if you... You're saying this is how. I figure out a way to respond. If all you're doing is explaining how a character solves a problem, it's probably going to feel kind of flat because you're just telling everything, you're explaining everything. The characters are just basically acting out what you are supposed to do, like an acting school. But if you give a character a problem and they're solving it over the course of the novel, and you show their various and how they try to solve this problem and the goals and the routes that they take to do it, then suddenly you have teams with goal, and conflict and stakes and it's not in the plot problem. And it's a and subtle difference uh, and then what helps with plotting a lot, because it's character-solving and character choices. Hmm. your characters are never going to make any choices, real choices, you know, you know, choosing, you know, push the button and everybody dies, don't push the button and everybody lives who's gonna pitch the ball? I mean, that's, that's not a real choice, right? even though it's presented as a choice. Um, and sometimes we have stories where the character's doing exactly what you want them to do to get to the next piece of the puzzle, but no actual scene. there's no conflict there, because they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're not trying to solve a problem and making choices and having to decide what to do. That makes
0: sense. Yes, so I love this idea of goal-seeking. It's its sort of the, the goal-seeking process throughout the story. Um, and,
1: and structure actually is so useful. Uh, a lot of people don't like structure, um, but it is a fabulous way because we, storytelling has the beginning, middle, and end, which is basically the most simple story structure you can get. The beginning sets up the story, the middle is where the problem is, the repeated attempt to solve the problem, and the end is how the problem is at its basic form. Uh, and then depending on you know what type of structure and format you like, there's all those different turning points that go into those three, you know those three apps. Uh, and you can put in as much or as little as you really want. But I'm gonna those turning points because it gives me a full post in and then I know I know where my character are going. So I may not have there. Yeah. But I, know, I know, that know that at the end of the first act, we need to have encountered X. You we know, need to have encountered that S problem that's going to put them on the path. Uh, right, so right. it's the course, big first problem. I know in the beginning, they are going to have a problem. problem. I know that somewhere within the 30 pages or so, there's going to be an inciting incident. You know, all of a sudden, it's points in a direction directly. You know, so like, I, I, know, know, I know the points. The I may not the details, details, but I know what direction to go in, so Push them, commend them, and, them and the characters in that direction, and we get there. And sometimes we're seeing how we get, we get there in and sometimes I know specifically what I want them to do. And sometimes I have a conceptual idea of what
0: they want to do, and then I feel like yeah. their So you're talking about stories going in waves, and um, that's kind of what structure is, then, right? It's, it's those predefined up and down moments. Do
1: you, I can't tell because. There's, a, there's lot a lot of uh, arcs, arcs in stories, stories. And, and if you look at, you know, an arc is three points, again, a yeah, beginning, middle, and an end, end. Uh, oh, which is it's basic storytelling, story but it also fixes figure scenes, because your scenes start with the goal, then and there's time to solve the goal, and there's a resolution of whatever happens, those three point length. And even if the the problem is solved, you at least get the next next step step, of launching the next goal and the next 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 resolution. So you've got those three points like over and over and over again. You have those arcs and you have the same arcs between the arcs. where they begin. It's a
0: fractal pattern.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even with the the sentence structure and paragraph points, almost have the same thing because hmm. the paragraph. The topic is introduced, the topic is discussed. The, 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 the conclusion yeah. at the end of the paragraph. Even if you're describing a house, you start with, there's a house, here's what's in the house, and then here's the reason why we're looking for the house, and it moves on to the next part. So you still have even that part part, even on even the, the set, which is fun. fun. It's like a mega like you put together the story and so and, and, and all those things are mixed in with all these different levels and they all kind of to tell the story.
0: Interesting. How, how much do you let structure guide you from an outline perspective versus the goal seeking process or do you find that they just generally align uh, in all cases?
1: Um, I like to start off with, with uh, there's anywhere between five to nine big turning big points, point. uh, uh, depending, depending on the structures you like to like. use. Uh, uh, I, like I like to figure out what those turning points are, are even so if it's, it's just, just something as like that. really vague as, I think when <laughs> I share the, the, the Climax turning point, turn- I had to be a bad guy using special power. That's about as being Uh So I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew that she needed to do that. Have those, have those major points, points uh, even if it's conceptual or, or vague, vague, I like to, I like kind, to kind of have a general idea, idea, and then I'll start at the beginning, and then I work my way to the first point. And usually, by the way, by the time I get, I get to the first point, point I have a much better sense of what those other point, points might point, be. So then I can then I go I and flesh out those other points, you know, and you might go by the end of, like, the first act, or usually by the end of the middle, I have a pretty good sense of the types, types of, of internal complex, like, external complex and with my characters, my character probably is also. it that that going, as to what, what constitutes a good win in end. Yes. Yes. So then yes. I might know what type of choice, choice she should have to make. Now, I may I not win. know yet, how she's going to be the bad guy, but I know that she's going to have to make a choice. Like, she might have to make a sacrifice like because the story, the story and, uh, and so it's, so it's I, I revise, revise my epilogue and my synopsis and I do a lot of chapter summaries and seen summaries about a paragraph or so. Um, and I revise that constantly because it's almost like my, my rough draft brainstorming mm. is I do a lot of those first ideas on paper and then work them all out. And then as I'm writing, uh, more interesting things frequently come to me. And sometimes I'm still doing the same basic Thing in the scene, but how I approach it is completely different because either the character's done something different or I figured out a more interesting way or just kismet has happened and my subconscious is a much better writer than I am. Things have been turning there and it just popped out on paper and you go, wow, where did that come from? But that's awesome. And you run with it. Uh, and then I update and I survive. So for me, it's definitely a constantly evolving process. Uh, until I get it all done. And then once I get it all done, the first draft or the rough draft, really, I write kind of a rough draft before I do a first draft <laughs> because I need to figure things out. So it's kind of a brain dump. Uh, and then once that's done, then I know what to shape, what to get away, you know, where are the strengths, where, what are the scenes and the avenues that didn't work, what are the themes and the, the plot stories and the subplots and the things that did work that are strong that I want to maybe enhance or deepen or flesh out. And then I kind of look at the story as a whole and and you know, break out the the clippers and just prune and shape it.
0: (laughs) So is revision one of your most powerful creative brainstorming tools then just kind of?
1: I love revision. Um, Some people hate it, but to me, that's where you actually find the story. Cool. Um, And I have an art background. Uh, That's how I made my living until I did the writing thing. Uh, for a long time so I kind of equate it uh, with drawing or any type of a creative process where you kind of have to block out the story and you get those colored lines and then you have kind of the coloring book outline and then you can do your base coats and then you do your shadings and you do your things and then you bring that to life and until you get some of that rough stuff down you can't create the final product because you can't you can't start off shading you know, that doesn't work. You can't start off putting the details in because you have nothing to add the details to. So like revision is kind of putting that polish and it's putting the colors and the shading and it's figuring out, you know, the first draft, the rough rough draft is like that outline. The first draft is coloring it all in and then revision is like putting in all that extra detail and bringing that flat image to life and making it three-dimensional.
0: That's a fantastic metaphor. I love that. I love that. So- you, you've mentioned overall for what makes, a, one of the key things to making a great story is engagement. And that's sort of consistent throughout the entire process. And you can use show, not tell, um, interesting conflict, point of view, great villains. Um, is there anything thematically that you need to do at the end to leave that's different than throughout the process?
1: Yeah. That's an interesting question. Um, probably, but I'm trying to think of some things that you would do. Sure. Uh, and I think everybody's a little different. Uh, I know that sometimes there are, especially if I want to use thematically, literally in that some, a lot of times uh, you don't always, sometimes you have an, a concept of what your theme is when you start a story and you can bring that out. Sometimes you don't know what your themes are till you're done. Mm. Uh, so I think, Quite literally thematically, you sometimes that's something you have to go back in after a book is finished uh, to look at and to pull out and pluck and, and bring some of those moments because yeah. you may not realize what a story is about until you finish it. Uh, so sometimes that's important to go back and look at afterwards because you can usually bring deeper meaning to a story than just here's what happened. Um, but you don't always know that till you're done. And sometimes there is no deeper meaning. It's just here's cool stuff that happened. depends on the story you know like again there's a lot of thrillers and a lot of uh you know just hardcore mysteries and some of the more technical puzzle focused stories that there are no deeper things it's an intellectual exercise it's not Mm. an emotional exercise
0: and so readers then are looking for you know in the moment keep me engaged through the process and then i'll i'll move on to the next thing as soon as that's done there's a, a different
1: yeah my mom is a huge mystery fan. She devours probably one or two books a day. She loves to read mysteries. And she likes the puzzles. She likes figuring out who did it. She likes figuring out, you know, how the crime was committed. She likes being able to figure it out before the sleuth does. It's an intellectual process for her. For her. She isn't as interested in character development and all. Like she likes well-drawn characters and all the stuff that people, you know, like about that. But she's in it for the puzzle. She likes the intellectual exercise of solving that puzzle and figuring all those things out. Puzzle person by nature. Um, uh, My husband loves world building and interesting concepts. If a book has a fascinating world and a fascinating premise, he really loves books like that. He has books that he raves about because of that. And I read and I'll be like, nothing happens because I like plots. I like stuff to happen. I like, you know, I, I like those Michael Bay action, summer blockbusters. You know, I like my books to have things going on. They don't have to be like, you know, explosions all the time, but I like stuff happening. So everybody has what they like.
0: Is there an opportunity cost uh, in including or trying to include everything? Trying to, I mean, you know, easier said than done, right? But trying to have a fantastic plot of an interesting world and a thematic uh, character change.
1: Uh, well, I think there can be because um, this is almost sacrilegious to say, but not every book needs a character arc.
0: Mm, no, I—that's actually a great point.
1: Well, I, you know, I, people, um. and I think the so much of writing you're focused on bringing those emotional journeys and getting into your characters and deep characters. Uh, since most you know there's a high percentage of books that do have all that and so you hear a lot of advice that says you need a character arc but you know what James Bond doesn't have a character arc Jack Reacher doesn't have a character arc there's no internal conflict in those characters like it's about the external problem um, and if Jack Reacher suddenly got all melodramatic and introspective you would be get out, know, you know stop being a wuss go out and shoot somebody you know like you wouldn't want him to be that way yes you a moody James Bond you want you know the wisecracker. Uh, so So I think that trying to force something into your story because people say you should when it doesn't require it Is a good way to hurt your story, just like if you had a literary character novel, you're not going to throw in gun gunmen and ninjas and monsters like you're If you want that personal character journey, you're not going to have the explosions and putting the explosions in there just hurts your story because it distracts from what the story is truly about. So yeah, I think trying to do everything um, Could definitely can hurt the story, you know, you want to be true to the story you're trying to tell understand the story you're trying to tell and then serve that story as best as you can. And you want to make your characters interesting. You want to give interesting story questions that readers want to see the answers to. And that can be an emotional question. It can be an intellectual question. It could be an adventurous question, but you want them to go, I want to know what happens next. And how you do that's up to you. And it all depends on the type of story. But as long as you keep doing that, you'll get them to the end and you'll hopefully make them happy. (laughs)
0: Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I can't think of any better place to end than, do what serves the story. I think that's, that's a fantastic summary to, to everything you've been saying.
1: Yeah, keep it, you know, post-it notes stuck to your monitor if you tend to forget that because it's easy to forget that sometimes because you're trying to, especially when you have like a premise or an idea and you know what you want to do with this story and you can forget that the whole goal of the story is to tell this wonderful story to make your reader go, wow, that was really cool. I love that story. That was great.
0: However yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Janice. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for your time. And thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for writing your books and keeping us all engaged in many ways. I'll uh, include links to all of your projects and uh, Fiction University and, and the books and such in the show notes. So thank you again for being here.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast.
0: <laughs> thanks again to Janice Hardy for her time and wisdom. Check out the show notes for a link to her website and her books. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so we can continue to grow and learn more storytelling tips from our special guests. You can also learn more about upcoming guests, our creative writing group, and future webinars at our website, kingo.com. That's K-I-I-N-G-O.com. That's all for today. Now let's get to work and write some great stories.